Welcome to the Kramer Bros Podcast as we break down episode seven and eight of the Michael Jordan Last Dance Doc. Taylor, good morning. Happy Monday to you. Morning. Happy Monday. Yeah, this is our, our fourth out of what I suspect will be five editions as we do an immediate reactionary pod to those Last Dance episodes. And I was telling you that um, th- these were some of my favorite episodes that we've had. What did you think about them? A few things stood out to me. Um, one of the reasons that I liked these episodes, um, I think especially seven, if I'm remembering correctly, was just they really talks about how competitive Jordan was. And <clears throat> we got to hear a few stories that I hadn't heard before, the Scott Burrell stuff and how much they picked on him. Like there were just all these, these things. There were a couple slights that I hadn't heard that he may or may not have just made up out of thin air um, to, to up the stakes a little bit in certain games. You know, what stood out to you? It was just a continuation of those, those stories. So we already knew that he was a, a competitor on almost like a psychotic level. But you just – there's even more depth to that, <clears throat> excuse me, than, than what you realized before these docs came out, at least for me. And I'm just imagining a person that would make things up in order to motivate themselves. Um, and that clip where – at the end, he was like winning a sprint. He was talking about people will view me as tyrannical and I didn't have to do these documentaries, but I wanted to show you that this is who I, who I am. And we're learning over and over again that it's not just who he was as the basketball player, but it's who he was as a person. <clears throat> and so when you think about like how bright that fire burned, like that competitiveness burned, and I imagine it was that way you know, his entire life. And so think about, we're all, we all have things that we're competitive in. And you think about those frustrations that can come up when you, when you fall short of something. And when you're competitive and you want to beat an older sibling and you just can't do it. And so then you start to question yourself and you become frustrated and you become angry. And we saw that kind of playing out throughout his career with the bad boys and different times like that. And then watching him overcome things and having to figure out new challenges, but then having life throw additional challenges in like the death of his father and the, the way the media portrays him and just the, the toll that that took on him mentally and then having to step away and seeing his competitive nature go and directly translate to baseball as he was then the guy that was spending the most time trying to, to hone his craft in that. And so I just really appreciated these episodes because I'm seeing and, and still like understanding that they could do a hundred episodes on Michael Jordan. And I don't think you would still ever really understand uh, the competitive nature. And if he would ever be able to find any level of fulfillment in life, just because of his competitive nature that he has, like would, would he go back and play basketball right now? I feel like he would. I think that he misses those outlets and, and I sometimes think that he's probably um, sad about not having that thing that he can just be undoubtedly the best at. I think that Jordan, we compare Jordan and Kobe a lot. And I think one of the biggest differences, besides I, I personally think Jordan was more talented than Kobe, but um, Jordan's competitive fire seemed to just overtake his entire life. Whereas Kobe seemed like he had, he was extremely competitive in basketball, but that's where he channeled it all. Like that's where he channeled all of his competitiveness, at least while he was playing basketball, was was winning the game. And then he was able to channel after he retired into writing and put put that energy there. Whereas it seemed like Jordan almost couldn't control how he had this competitive drive. It was, it was just this overlying, all-encompassing competitive drive that ran his life in a sense. And uh, so that was, that was something that I'll, I'll really take away from, from this. Um, another thing that stuck out to me was the whole baseball thing. Um, 
my whole life hearing about Jordan was he was a failure. He should have never gone and tried baseball. And listening to a few of the the baseball people say, you know, he 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 played baseball in high school. Now he's playing double A and he's getting better throughout the course of the year. Who knows if he even comes back to basketball if they don't go on strike, what would have been going into his second baseball season. And they're like, you know, I, I think he would have made the major leagues. I mean, that to not play baseball for that long, like I know there's other athletes that have been drafted in multiple sports, but for him to not play baseball for that long, a large part of his life, and then to pick it up and they're saying, yeah, he, the way he worked and his progress or improvement, he probably would have made the MLB was, was just wow. That was unexpected. You and I know probably next to nothing about baseball. I know nothing about it. Yep. I, yeah, I do know nothing. And, but I can appreciate it. I have friends who are great baseball players and um, have watched them play. And there's just that, like, that aspect to it where I think Michael Jordan's instincts that he employed so well on the basketball court probably really helped him on the baseball field too. But also probably more than anything is just the fact that he was trying to make up for lost time in the batting cage and just swinging until he had blisters. And we knew that he would crush himself like that on the basketball court. And then to see him do it on the, on the baseball diamond too is, is really impressive. And so maybe he's just one of those guys that is just a world-class athlete and you could plug him into multiple sports. And if he spent enough time on it that he would have found success eventually and yeah that to me was surprising because baseball it requires a intense level of athleticism but also to me there's just those nuances to it that I feel like you have to play it a lot (laughs) to be good at it and I don't know it's just amazing to hear them say some of those things about him yeah I mean apparently there's a lot of technique to it I'm not sure. You got a stick, you hit the ball. It's coming at you really fast. I know that's hard. You got that's a glove, you run around the bases. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's got to be really hard to hit a baseball. Yeah, if you look at the batting averages, right? Um, besides that, I don't know how much athleticism it takes to play baseball. It seems like a lot of them are really out of shape. <laughs> um, so Jordan, I would think, like you put a uh, one of the, a world class athlete in a baseball uniform, but he's six six. That's a pretty big strike zone, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm guessing it's easier for you to strike out if you're tall, you got long <laughs> arms. I have no idea. We could be uh, slandering right now. I have no idea. <laughs> Again, this is that's uh, the beauty of the podcast. It's just <laughs> opinion. Um, but again, I've never been to a baseball game in my life, uh, so take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> oh, a whole shaker, a whole salt shaker. Um, oh, but I did have something to say about the baseball. The level of confidence that you have to have in yourself to be a three-time repeating NBA champion, they're already saying Michael Jordan – and they're calling him the greatest, not everybody, but a lot of people are calling him the greatest already after three to just leave, to, to walk away from baseball or basketball and be like, yeah, I'm going to be a pro baseball player. That's not rational. Nobody would do that (laughs) today. Like you're 30 years old. You've, you've accomplished all these things. And you're like, yeah, I'm actually going to go pro and something else that I haven't played since high school you know, and it's just makes total sense to you. It made total sense to Michael Jordan that he was going to, I'm going to put my mind to baseball. I'm going to train just as hard like I did for basketball. And that's going to produce the result of the being a major league baseball player. That level of confidence is unbelievably high. The other thing that I really admire about the whole baseball thing is 
there was no fear of failure. He didn't, he was just like, this is what I got to do. You know, he talks about wanting to do it for his dad. Uh, baseball was his first love. He didn't care how the media was going to see him. Uh, he was just like, this is how I want to live my life. This is how I want to go about doing it. And if I'm a failure, I went out swinging and gave it everything that I had. So the unreal level of confidence and the fact that he's so comfortable with himself, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to walk away and I'm going to do this baseball thing. And that's the right decision for me. Those two things really stood out to me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm finding myself like pitying Jordan in many ways because here you have something he was at the at the pinnacle he was at the top of the mountaintop some people are murmuring that he might be the greatest of all time after that first three-peat he has has something um that he could just continue to be the best at and to win at and so you look and, and you you look at him and you say it's all about winning that's all that matters but for some reason whether that was the death of his father the um, unfair treatment from the media whatever else might have been going on in his life, he was always like seeking something additional. And so that leaves me wondering, like, what is he still seeking? Um, he probably has everything he would ever want, except I feel like there's probably still something missing just because we've seen that playing out in his actual playing career. Is he, well, maybe Jesus, maybe <laughs> that could be, that could be. Um, and yeah, it's just because, like you said, we compare it so much to to Kobe, and we saw Kobe, you know, putting efforts into these other things and being passionate about things like filmmaking. And this was a guy that spoke like half a dozen languages, could play the piano, um, had all these other things that he could he could channel his energy into. And I just I don't know. I, I'm not sure what the difference is between those two. We talk about how Kobe channeled during his playing career, a lot of his competitiveness towards just basketball. But I also wonder what else he was doing that we didn't really know about because he seemed to just blossom after retirement. And then here we are having this conversation about Jordan where we're like, you know, man, what is that? What is that dude missing? Um, it's really, it's really interesting because when I saw him break down in tears and call for a break after explaining his competitive nature, you know, I just saw a guy who was just like, dang, that's like all I know. And now I'm not sure what to do. I don't even know how to talk about it. I don't even know how to explain it. That's just all I know. And that's who I am. So I don't know. I'm pitying yeah, him a little really, bit. That was really cool um, to, to hear him explain how he went about working with his teammates how he viewed getting his teammates to win. And, uh, you know, I pushed him, I pulled him when they didn't want to be pulled or pushed, but that's who I was. That's what I knew. And that's what it was going to take in order to win in the playoffs. And he says, like, you know, you don't have to do it the way I do it. And, he, and he's just, like, for him, a very composed person who, you know, Michael Jordan was always cool. Like he was always cool, whether he was, he was hitting the game winning free throws or doing a Haynes commercial, like he was always the same. Right. And then to hear him, you know, tearing up and see him te tearing up about how he felt about competition and winning in the game is another reason why I think why I know he's the best ever is because that mindset, that view, that uh, compulsive way of going about winning in the game is in many ways what it seems to take if you want to be really, really the best at what you do. Um, I've had people ask me a lot about um, like USA basketball, for example, like I know we're going way, there's, there's some similarities stick with me. people will ask me, 
you know, why is USA high school basketball so good? Like all the time. And I'll say, well, it's not some magical term. It's not some special drill that they're doing at practice that nobody else is. Um, Generally, they're more competitive than everybody else. And they're more confident than everybody else. And I think some of that goes hand in hand where it's about winning. It's not, there's a level of unselfishness to it where it's like, whatever we have to do to win, that's the priority, not the minutes, not the stats. Um, The level of confidence that that school generally has compared to many other schools gets them victories on its own because of their self-belief in what they can do. And again, it goes back to some things that really, I think, separate Jordan from so many other athletes are the fact that his competitive drive and his level of, of confidence, once he reached the apex, it was just automatic they're going to win. Michael Jordan, when he was playing, you're like, they're going to win. And I remember in 97 and 98 in the finals watching the Jazz, and I'm hoping that the Jazz can win and upset Jordan and the Bulls, even though I didn't even really like the Utah Jazz. I just wanted somebody else to to win. Because, again, as we said before, we were raised not to like Michael Jordan. And the the farther we got away from it, all of a sudden I'm a Jordan fan. Um, But I was like, the Bulls are going to win. Like, you just know the Bulls are going to win no matter what the Utah Jazz do because they got Jordan, and Jordan finds a way to win the game. Um, that game that John Paxson hit the three in game six at Phoenix to win uh, their third title, Jordan scored every point in the fourth quarter up until that three. And this is something that frustrates me because there was some, there was a LeBron person. They're like, if Jordan would have passed the ball and not taken the shot, they would be grilling him, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't think so because Jordan took basically every shot the entire quarter, right? And scored every point the entire quarter to keep them in the game. And it ended up paying off because you know, as we've seen Pax and Steve Kerr, like everything that Jordan went about, like it came up, it came up roses at the end of a basketball game. Yeah. Because he, he tested them earlier and that was his whole strategy was, you know, let's, let's test these guys in training camp. Let's get to know them, see if they're ready to go to battle. And then from there, it's, it's a lot easier to figure out how to make that pass or if you want to make that pass. Um, and yeah, now it's become part of his, part of his legacy is those Paxson and Kerr shots and those guys were dogs and they went, went to battle with them. And, um, you know, if anything, Kobe had spoken to this when he retired as he's like, you know, I, I feel better about retirement than I thought I would because I put everything into it and he couldn't in any way possible look back and kind of question like if he, if he tried his best. And I think, that was the the same for Jordan. I just think that the difference might have been just the level of scrutiny that he's faced and maybe being unfulfilled in other areas. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the the reliance on on his teammates after he had tested them, but still scoring those buckets leading up to that. I mean, in that, you know, the iconic Cleveland shot, I didn't know until watching this documentary series that he had hit the the bucket prior to that one too and that's just an added part where it's like oh I didn't I didn't know that I mean just a guy that just continues to to show up man it was it's awesome to get those little extra tidbits so I have a question for you with the whole Jordan thing they go on in the first episode and they're all asking is Michael a nice guy Basic, is he friendly? And everybody's basically like, no. What did we hear about Kobe? 
<clears throat> not really, right? Cool off the court for the most part, Jordan and Kobe. But um, during practice, those like they're just every practice is just like a game, high competition, and you don't like that person, you respect that person, which we've talked about before. Jordan's got six titles. Kobe's got five. Do you really have to like each other to win? No, not at all. No, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I liked very few of my high school teammates. I had a couple of friends on the team and a couple that I'd become friends with after. No. I mean, we because we, we knew that we had a good team, we had an understanding pretty early on that we could function without actually liking each other. Now, maybe I was the only one that didn't like some of those other guys and the rest of them all liked each other. That could definitely be possible. Um, you absolutely do not need to like each other. I think it's that respect that's important and then having that level of trust that's built through training camps and practice and, and tight games. But no, you don't. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's about respect. It's about being a team. It's about putting the priorities first. I think um, it's this is a concern I have at the high school level. Is I think there's a growing number of coaches who um, really like you got to like each other. You got to like each other. You got to do all these things together and be best buddies and that's not realistic to life. Like when you get a job, you're not going to be best buddies with all your coworkers, right? But you still have to, to get the job done. You have to learn how to get along with people that may think differently than you, that may have different views. They just may have different interests, right? Like a, a lot of my high school and, and some college teammates, it wasn't that I had something against them. Besides basketball, we weren't going to have a whole lot in common. Like they were interested in things. I was interested in things and they weren't in common. But when we came out on the basketball court, it was going to be competitive. We had one goal together and that's what was going to make it work. My junior year in high school, we had uh, Matt Kitchen who just transferred in from Mayville, arguably the greatest one of the greatest shooters of all time in the state of Michigan. We had myself. We had uh, Scott Travis, John Arnold, and Adam Gainforth, which, by the way, was a gigantic group of people to play high school basketball yeah. for Class C <laughs> because I was the shortest guy at our starting lineup. Um, so <laughs> think about that. Um, but – and then we had Brian Packard, who was 6'1". He was our sixth man, and he would have been the best player on most teams in, in the thumb, and he didn't even start for us. But my, the point that I'm getting, it, getting to is there were all these different groups of friends within even a small group of 10, 12 players on our team. And, I mean, we had fights in practice. We had um, – constant like they're always just like little jabs and barbs and people kind of teasing each other and, and stuff like that and we were one bad game away from going 20 and 0 <laughs> and um I don't want to use the flu as an excuse but I think we would have won back-to-back -back regional titles and who knows how far we would have gone that year but I played a game and basically hadn't eaten any food in two days and we lost a fairly close game to, to Reese and the regionals. But um, you don't have to like each other and be best buddies. Like my friend on that, best friend on that team was Adam Arnold, and he was the last guy on the bench. It clearly had nothing to do with um, our cohesiveness out on the basketball court and how we worked together because he didn't play unless I was on the bench when we were up 20 or 30 points. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. Um, you just got to find a way to work together for the greater good of the team. I think we see it time and time again at the highest levels of sports. And I think as a coach, that should be a, a priority 
it's great if you're all friends and, and like each other, but the, the job of a coach should be how do we get a group of different individuals to be on the same page and work together? That's not only going to help their season, this is going to help them as individuals later in life when they go to college, when they get jobs, when they enter the workforce, and they also have to learn how to work with all these different people that they don't necessarily get along with that well. Yeah, and and you need to have a competitiveness even between the players that that do like each other. So whatever's fueling the competitiveness, I mean, on our high school teams, when we would split up and run fives or be running some type of rebounding drill where we're tracking defensive and offensive rebounds and a losing team has to run sprints, sometimes, yeah, I want to win because I don't like the guy on the other team and I would love to see him run sprints. Other times, my best friend is on the other team and I want to win even more because why would I want to have to go hang out with my best friend after he just beat me at something? And so some of the, the most competitive times I've had have been with the people that, that I was closest to. And I think that that's totally healthy. Um, you, your best players have to want to compete, I think, and set the tone for, for everybody else. And then there's some teams that are just really special where literally, and I've been on teams like that, one through 12, everybody's competitive in practice. And of course, you know, nine through 12 isn't really playing that often in the actual games, but in practice, everybody is scratching and clawing and there's shouting matches, there's fights, there's all these different things that can happen, but it never actually breaks apart the team. It actually makes you stronger because um, I think you need to, to look at the different ways that you're going to treat your teammates. So Jordan, yes, he would punch a teammate in practice if it, if it was warranted or whatever. He wouldn't do that during a game. He would still call people out, but there's differences to that. You're, you're working through things in practice so then you can implement them in the game, right? So there's hopefully not going to be shouting matches on the actual bench because you've, you've sorted through things in practice. Um, but yeah, I've been on teams like that and I wouldn't want it any other way. I loved it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it makes everything more, more fun. Um, you know, I think of college, some of the good college teams we had and similar to some of your high school teams, the practices were more fun than the games, you know, because you're, you're 10 deep. A lot of your bench guys would be starting for opponents that you'd be playing against and being able to have practice. And then you all go to, you know, the, the dining hall together you're talking trash about the practice today and you know how bad you beat the other team um, is uh, obviously a lot of fun. Um, any other thoughts you had on, on that area? Can we just at least talk about the scene where he's smoking a cigar and swinging a bat in the locker room yeah. and there's a, yeah. a weird, like, I don't know, Celine Dion song playing in the background or something. Lindsay and I were, were like, it sounds weird, but we were like in awe of that scene. Mm-hmm. And it was just, did they, had they just finished the game? I think that might have been practice. prior to practice after BJ Armstrong had, had went off and was talking so between trash. Between those two games. Between oh. those two games. And Jordan's got the giant stogie. Right? In the locker room. In the locker room. He's got his baseball bat. And he's... He's not saying a ton, but you can see the wheels turning in his head. That was my favorite part was just looking at how they had recorded this scene. And he's, he's, he's kind of mumbling as he's, you know, swinging the bat and he's got the stogie, but then they also show him kind of leaning in his locker with his feet up. (laughs) And it's one of those few times where you see someone and without, without them saying any words, you know what's processing in their head. You know he's processing and breaking down all these things of how he's going to go about the next game. It was one of my favorite parts. I'm glad you brought that up. It was one of my favorite parts of last night. Yeah, I think it's a legendary scene. Definitely going to be one of the top parts for me from the entire docuseries because, yeah, you're, you're watching him. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't know the camera was there because you're watching him processing something and it seems so natural where he's like, he's, 
saying a couple things out loud, but there's actually a, a, a louder conversation going on in his head. And there's a, like a little bit of a, this is a slightly psychotic because there's a weird song playing in the background that doesn't match the moment at all. And he's swinging a baseball bat and you're wondering, is he picturing BJ Armstrong's head? Like just all these different things. And it is in the things he said, um, you know, you can talk crap when you're, when you're ahead by five with a couple seconds left. He's like, can you talk crap when you're tied or when you're behind? And then you cut to other things where other scenes where they just want a playoff game. And he's, he's like, man, we might not lose another one all the way through. And it's like to say those things and then actually watch a lot of it happen. Like that's a whole different level of, like you said earlier, confidence and um, where they had some crazy winning streaks and, and Pippen is looking at the thing like, yeah, we might not lose the next 15 games. You know, it's amazing to have that level of confidence in what you're doing. That was definitely one of my best scenes. And then, again, let's just talk about the fact he's, let's see, he's 30 years old. He's smoking a cigar in the locker room. He's got a baseball bat, like wrong sport, right? But it was kind of telling because he goes to baseball in a couple months. So he's, you know, looking back, it's like nobody knew he was going to retire after that season. Right? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the – I'm trying to think of the timeline. If this was after he came back from baseball or if it was before, I thought it might've been the, um, 95. Okay. My, my, yeah, I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting, he won so much. I'm getting them all mixed up. Wrong sport regardless. Like he's, he's messing around with his baseball bat. He's smoking a cigar. It's like, dude, you're in the NBA playoffs right now. Shouldn't you be like having no smoking <laughs> period or something like that? Um, it is just cracking me up the level of confidence. And again, it's more proof that Michael Jordan isn't really human. Like he's, he's smoking, he's, he jumps in and plays another professional sport halfway through his career. Like he's doing things that you just look at and you're like, how? How did he accomplish these things? It's just a, I don't know. I don't know either. It's just like a singular focus and ability to, to zero in on whatever that task is. What a nightmare he would have been as like an eight year old little league player. Like, was he beating up his teammates then? Well, it sounded like he was fighting with his brother all the time. So I'm sure it sounded like, I mean, fighting was not something that he had a problem with, whether it was teammates or anybody else. Um, which goes back in like you don't have to be buddy buddies with all your teammates to get the job done. Um, that was a great scene. Another thing that this is just kind of an overarching theme was Jordan played three years of college basketball. He retired for essentially two years. He played teen games the year that he came back. Now, the interesting thing was the Bulls were quite good. They had a lot of their championship players back um, after Jordan retired. The second season, they were only a few games above 500. They were really floundering. Jordan comes back, kind of gives them their, some pep in their step. Um, they lose to the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic, the Bulls, this at the time was – just this, this storm on the horizon. So I want to take you back to 1996 as a 12-year-old boy. And I'm a big Penny fan, okay? Penny at the time, Kobe had only been in the league for like a year, right? Um, is that right? I think, or he was yeah. usually a rookie that year. Anyway, um, Penny was an all NBA player. He might've been all NBA first team guard with Jordan that season. He was. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Jordan and him were first team all NBA. They had Shaq who was becoming, he wasn't there yet, but he was becoming the best center in the NBA. They had a great team around them of three point shooters. This team was built 
was a built dynasty in the making. And then you had Michael Jordan coming out of retirement. They beat him the year before. And it was one of the more unusual um, rivalries that could have been that never were in the NBA since I've been paying attention to it. It was one of the most exciting leading up to it. Shaq, Penny, Jordan, Radman, Pippen, Horse Grant, who used to play for the Bulls. Now he's over and he switched sides. Now he's on the Magic. And they're going to play each other. This is just going to be a crazy game. And, and the Magic have Shaq. Nobody can guard Shaq. And the way that the Bulls were designed was they don't have a real mobile big. They got bigs. Like Luke Longley was a giant human being, right? But nobody could move like Shaq, right? And so their most mobile inside guy was Rodman. But Rodman's only 6'8". Now, he bulked up and got super strong. But that matchup isn't going to work time and time again against a person like Shaq. So you're saying, I can see how the Magic are going to have the Bulls number. And the Bulls come out, and it's 4-0, sweep. And you're like, what just happened? This was supposed to be this monumental uh, series, seven games. You can't wait to see it played. Penny Hardaway was first team All-NBA. And you're like, him and Jordan are just going to go head-to-head, neck-and-neck. And the Bulls are just like, it was, it was like a, a turd state on your underwear, you know? And it was just like, what the heck is, is going on? I thought this was supposed to be some great series, and they're gone. And that was it. And that was the end of the magic. Yeah, so Shaq left a year after that? Or was there one more season? <clears throat> no, because they – yeah, I'm trying to think of the timeline – on that. Um, but I think, yeah, essentially what it boils down to that. Did he, um, left for La La Land and the penny stuff never came to fruition. I mean, he's on everybody's list of what ifs, you know, what if injuries hadn't happened, but also in those matchups against Jordan. I mean, I think that my understanding's correctly correct. He had some good games, but also it was just a continuation of those levels of like, there's penny, first team all NBA, but then there's Jordan who is even beyond that and just strikes fear. And so, um, man, it could have made for some really great series. I think even those next couple of years of Shaq had stayed for sure. And then that Horace Grant piece too. the Bulls loved Horace Grant. And I think he liked playing for the Bulls. Some weird stuff happened there with the contract negotiations and stuff. Have you ever heard about any of that? Yeah. And, and, just so we're correct, Horse Grant did get injured in that series. Okay. Um, but to be fair, it was a 4-0 sweep. Horse Grant isn't winning and changing that series. You know, maybe they win one game because he was healthy throughout, throughout that series. But um, it's interesting in hindsight because you look back and the, they didn't bring Horse Grant back, but that also allowed Rodman to come in and yeah. be that piece. And looking back at the that '96 team, I think the Warriors, that first Warriors team that had Durant, I can't remember the first or second time that they they won it with Durant. In my mind, I'm thinking of that '96 Jordan team and that Durant Steph Curry team as the two best teams that I've ever seen. And I was stubborn for a while with one of the Kobe Shaq teams. I, I'd still put in there, but I probably put it at three just because I felt like um, those Lakers teams probably needed a little bit more shooting, perimeter, perimeter yeah. shooting. Um, but those are the three, maybe the three best teams I feel like I've ever seen. Um, the ability for that Bulls team to roll out Ron Harper, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. Ron Harper was, was a huge dude that could play point guard. And he was like a 20-point-a-game scorer. And he comes in and it's like, yeah, I'll just come off the bench or do whatever. It doesn't matter to me. You got Rodman, who, as I mentioned a little bit in the docuseries, 
was highly motivated that first season, especially like he was ready to, to dominate and show Jordan and the bulls and everybody like, I'm, I'm in, let's, let's, let's do this. Right. Um, and then you have a six foot 10, six foot 11 Croatian dude who can do everything. Right. And so he could, ro- you could always roll him out there. And if any of these guys out, are out on the court, we can go big or we can go small. You put Rodman at center. We could put uh, Steve Kerr out there who's going to make every three-point shot. And you're going to have to help off somebody, so he's always open. So if you, if you leave him, then he's just going to make it. And, or we can go big, and we got a seven-footer that we can just put out there to clog up the basket. And, you know, good luck with that when you got, uh, you know, 6'8", six, 6'6", Six eight, six nine. Oh, and then we got Luke Longley, who's seven one or something like that. I mean, talk about a gigantic team, and four of those five guys could could move and guard, you know, nearly every position. You know, I. It's tough for me to say that. Even that Durant team going back to '96 would be able to beat that Jordan team. Um, it's tough to play the era game because the game has totally changed as far as the amount of three point shooting that goes on and the rules have also changed. So basically I would say if you took that warriors team and put them in 1996, yeah, I think the, I think the bulls would win um, their rules. If you put the bulls team in against the warriors, I'd, I'd probably give the edge to the – it's hard for me to honestly even say I'd give the edge to any team that doesn't have Michael Jordan on it, though, because if he's shown us anything, he finds a way to win. It's really, really tough to say. I, I guess I would, yeah, probably lean the way that you're, that you're going to if you're jumping and putting 17 Warriors in 96. I think you got to favor the, the Bulls and then maybe vice versa. Um, cause you don't want to slight Durant and Curry either, but also if you had to create a player to guard Kevin Durant, it might be Scottie Pippen and Jordan can check clay or, or Curry. And then Harper of course was a really good defender too. Um, who knows the court just might explode with Draymond and Rodman on the same court. They'd both get suspended and then would be out. Yep. So, you know, there's a wash right there. Um, yeah, I think Pippen would guard Durant. I think Harper would guard Curry, and I think Jordan would guard Clay. Mm-hmm. But they'd all be switching and guarding. Yep. Everybody anyway. Yeah. Um, I, that seventeen Warriors team was good, man. I mean, their point differential, like in the playoffs, and the the mismatches. So yeah, I ah, I would favor them in the modern day. I would. Because yeah. Durant's an all-timer, man. Yeah, slightly. 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 It's not like um, Durant is is just a, another top 25 guy. He's a top 15, top 10 dude all-time. They showed uh, what I thought was interesting, the cumulative uh, wins and losses from the season and the playoffs combined. And the Bulls still have the best all-time record. Um, and it's they've lost like three or four less games or something like that when you, mm-hmm. when you add in the playoffs. I thought that was interesting. And probably a little bit more telling than just, you know, posting the regular season win total and then saying, yeah, they also won the championship, but to put the wins up there, I know the Warriors had, I think the biggest point differential. Um, but if you look at wins and losses, the the Bulls had a, a better win loss percentage. Right. Yeah. Uh, man, I would love to love to watch that play out. Howdy Pippen could guard Durant. But Durant's would it be gonna give, Durant's going to give him buckets? Like I'm not saying he'd shut him down because he wouldn't. Nobody's shutting Kevin Durant down. But as you mentioned, Scottie Pippen was one of the best perimeter defenders that we've seen in the past 30, 40 years ever. <laughs> I mean, if anybody's going to give him trouble, it's going to be Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen's arms—I don't know if they've ever mentioned his wingspan—off the charts. Okay, so you got Durant's super long arms. So does Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen is much stronger than Kevin Durant. 
right? So that that's obviously an advantage. Um, and Pippen moved so well laterally, and he seemed to just have like he was always in the right spot. Um, if you go on YouTube and you hit like Scotty Pippen mixtape highlights, there's and you might even have to put Defender Part One and Part Two. There's minutes, and it just goes on forever of just defensive highlights, and then him turning it into like coming down and hitting a three, or coming down and dunking on somebody. I don't want us to finish this series, and he still doesn't get enough credit. Ku coach still doesn't get enough credit. Um, like, who's bringing a player like Ku coach off the bench? I mean, this is a he was a six man of the year. He was a starter after he left the the Bulls, and they're just like, yeah, we we just happen to have a six ten guy who would flourish in today's game. He's just backing us all up because mm-hmm. we're that good. Yeah, isn't that isn't that the danger of watching this series? Is that you you hope to gain an appreciation for those other guys, and then just because the magnitude of Jordan and his resume, you like still forget about those players. And Scotty was forgot about throughout his entire career. He was underpaid, um, underrated. But, yeah, you don't, you don't want to forget about him. And you have to remind yourself that the dudes like Coach and Pippen and Kerr and whoever else, like, they were successful because they got put through the ringer by Michael. And so you can attribute that to Michael, but also you need to understand that those guys, like, they got through that. And they became the guy that Jordan, the guys that Jordan trusted to to go into these series with, and they should by no means be be underrated at all. Mm-hmm. Easy to forget yep. about. Yeah, I agree. There's just so much in here that I wish we could keep digging into and talking about. I'm sad that there's only one more Sunday left. I don't know what I'm gonna do after this Sunday. We'll still be in quarantine and all this other stuff, and I won't have the Sunday to look forward to. I won't have, you know, all this stuff on Twitter to look at. Most of it's pro Jordan, obviously, but then you hear some crazy stuff about LeBron and, um, you know, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it too. Have you heard rumblings that um, there was a film crew following Kobe for his last two years in the league? Yeah, I heard, I didn't know if it was the last two years, but I, I heard that the last season he had a film crew coming around so obviously that's gonna take a while to finish but something to something to look forward to it'll be a little bit different of a take because you know Jordan won in 98 Kobe was on some really bad teams near the end of his career Um, but definitely something that to get an inside glimpse at some of these guys in a way that you can't at at uh, older generation players like I would love a bird documentary I would love a magic documentary um, but they would never be in depth the way that some of these new docs that are coming out would be yeah, and, and to not have Kobe to actually commentate what the what was going on at the time will add a different taste to it. Um, but we look forward to that. And now that Jordan has done it and it's come out, I'm sure LeBron is doing it on a crazy – like he might have a film crew the rest of his career if he hasn't already going about that. Um, Dwayne Wade, he's got to. Well, it's, you know, as Bill Simmons said, it seemed like he was retiring for like two years. Like yeah. he was having like this, all these things going on as he was getting older. And, you know, it might be a little more normal. But right now, what we're watching is groundbreaking. It's the first time we've ever seen something like that. And I think that's what will make it even more powerful as we move on to the future. Is like this was the first inside look at something that very few people knew was even being filmed. And you got Jordan talking about all of these past experiences. It's going to stick is what I'm saying. It's going to stick more than I think future docuseries that, that come out. Yeah. And credits to Jordan, man. He's a, just a guy, a cultural phenom that was built to create something like this. And, and, um, Hopefully it does pave the way for some additional creation of films and stuff, but I, I'm going to bet that I don't enjoy any of them as much as I've enjoyed this one. Correct. 
last thing, any, any overarching themes you want to close, close out with today? I, I guess I just continue to be amazed by the um, esteem that his peers hold him in. And so as you're trying to figure out and maneuver, like which players in current day are, are um, great and all timers and who's the goat, look to the players. Like that's how I judge it. Look to what they're saying about, about these guys. And um, you know, with the Kobe LeBron stuff, there's a, a few players who have had to, to guard both of them in their prime. And I like to look to those guys, the ones who have played against or with both of them. Um, same thing here. Just has there ever been a player who would take some of the, the best players of all time and have them speak the way that they speak about Michael Jordan? It says, it says more than I think any media member ever could. More than any media member, more than any analytics-based fan is what their contemporaries are saying about them. What Barkley has to say about Jordan, what Bird, Magic, Patrick Ewing have to say about Jordan. There, there's Nobody has ever talked like that about anybody else. And that should be, as you said, the most telling sign of how great was this person. Um, you brought up a good point with, with Kobe. Like a lot of NBA players are saying they'd still take Kobe over LeBron. So throw the stats out, whatever you want to look at, who do the players think was better? A lot of them pick Kobe. And uh, I think that's really interesting. And I think part of it is just that mindset that he had in common with Jordan of like, I have no fear of failure and I have the utmost confidence in my abilities that we're going to win. And not that LeBron doesn't have some of those characteristics. LeBron's phenomenal, an all-time great basketball player. But there's something that really stands out with like a Kobe or a Jordan where you look at him, you're like, wow, that, there's something different about that athlete. Yeah, we can – yeah. It, LeBron has had a couple of seasons where that's been the case, where he just, I think, had this – like when they came back from 3-1 against the Warriors – that was a case where he was just at an all-time superhuman level. And um, it took him some time to develop that. Like, so it takes all players some time to develop that. But um, I just think the, the year-in and year-out mentality, you know, there's some separation there between, obviously, Jordan, Kobe, and then LeBron. They're just different. They're just different guys. Yep. And, and, again, LeBron is one of the greatest players of all time. He's phenomenal. He's a great philanthropist. Um, There's so many great things about LeBron. And the, the hard thing is because we're constantly – you're going to go on Twitter today and you're going to see a LeBray, uh, LeBray <laughs> a debate of who's better. And that, that's the sad thing about this is in order to recognize how good somebody is, you feel like you got to put another person down when you do this. And that's not fair. That's not fair to LeBron or anybody else that LeBron is so good he's in that conversation is realistically a compliment. But even though it seems like you're beating him down, we're not. Like, he's phenomenal. Um, but the cumulative stats, like Jordan retired for five years essentially. Think of what his stats would look like if he would have stuck around. If he would have been in today's game, he would have played one year of college ball instead of three. He would have had over 40,000 points. His rebounds, assists, all those totals would have been off the charts. He, There's probably a good chance, like we talked about in the last podcast, I don't think they win nine titles in a row, but I think they win one of those Houston Rockets titles. I think they win the lockout shortened season in 99. I think that would have been a great season um, had Jordan not retired and them been pushed out, basically, um, before they were, were ready. So you throw all those things in. It's like, you're not trying to beat anybody down. I just want to make sure that people really understand how great Jordan was. And as good as Jordan was, he still played professional baseball halfway through his career. He retired. And because he got pushed out his second retirement, 
because they said, we're not bringing your coach back. We're not bringing Scottie Pippen back. We're, we're going to start from scratch. And Jordan said, well, I'm not, I'm not playing if, if these guys are going. And they're like, all right, see you, Michael. See you later. We don't need you. Even though he's won six for six, which is just crazy to say that. Um, they would have won even more championships. And it's important for us to remember that on top of all the things that we're learning about Jordan and all the winning that he has accomplished. Last question. We can post this or not. Um, if the Lakers had decided to, to sign Phil Jackson right after his Bulls stint, would Jordan have gone to the Lakers and played with Kobe and Shaq? Because it was, I think there was a one-year break there before they hired Phil. No. No? Too many? Absolutely not. Too many alphas? Again, this is one of the reasons why I like Jordan so much. He's not going to come back and be like, I'm getting older. Let me ride the coattails of Shaq and Kobe. That's not who Jordan was. He said, like, when I retire, I want to go out on top. When he came back and played for the, war the Wizards, that was basically because he's like, I just want to play basketball at that point. But if we're talking the, the Jordan that won three straight titles for the second time, then you're saying, oh, now he's going to go and team up with all these other guys. He's not, you know, Taylor, that's not his personality. If anything, he would have said, I'm going to beat these guys. Let me show, let me show them what I'm going to do because I'm Michael Jordan. This is how we do it. We don't team up with Shaq and Kobe and whoever the other best players in the NBA are. I'm going to take them down. That's Jordan's personality, right? And that's what he would have done had that imaginary situation that you just brought up actually come to fruition. Interesting. So he would have, he would have went to a team that wasn't coached by Phil. He would have stayed on the bulls. Like if, if, if we're throwing out all these imaginary circumstances, he's not going anywhere. Okay. He's staying on the bulls. They're bringing them back. They got rid of Phil, but Jordan's like, no, this is my team. This is my city. This is, you know, where we've, we've built this from, from scratch, from nothing when we were, you know, a, a bottom dwelling team before I got here. And this is where I'm, I'm sticking and my, my, my feet are in the sand. Let's do this. You know, I'm realizing how uh, thin the line was between maybe in today's game, Jordan would have played an additional two, three years probably and squeezed out those additional years into the early 2000s without retiring and then waiting to go to the Wizards. So not only did we miss out on a Lakers, like a Kobe-LeBron series at some point throughout their career, but could we have potentially seen a Lakers-Bulls series like in the late to early 2000s? And it Lakers would have been a different Jordan. But yeah. I mean, the Lakers went in 2000, 2001, and 2002. And Jordan wins in 98. So there's just one season in between those two titles. It realistically could have gone 96, 97, 98, 99 champions, Chicago Bulls. And then that next year was when the Lakers won it. Would the Bulls have been good enough then to make it to the finals? I don't know. Rodman was wearing down. Pippen was wearing down. Jordan would have been 30... Like seven or 38? Seven, I think, at that time. So, I mean, that's getting, that's getting up there. Who knows? It's interesting to think about, but it's, it's possible. Like, there was only one season in between 98 and 2000 when those two teams won it. It's pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, a lot of hypotheticals, but I think the East was still watered down enough that Jordan could have uh, gotten past the Pacers or whoever, or the Knicks, and then um, – made it and had a little matchup against Kobe Bean Bryant. Yeah. At that time, the, you know, during the mid nineties, early and mid nineties, the East was fantastic stacked. Right. And then as you get towards the late nineties, that up and coming team was the magic and they Shaq left. And so that team was gone. And then you had the Pacers who were very good and had made, you know, one of the, championship games where they lost to the Lakers later on 
they had Jalen Rose. They had some good younger pieces, but they still had some of the old kind of dogs that were closer to Jordan's age. So it wasn't like they were a young team either. They had Mark Jackson. He was mm-hmm. old. Um, and so it's, it's conceivable to think that the Jordan Bulls teams would have continued to go to the finals. In case your brain isn't broken, um, this is the end of episode four in our Last Dance recaps. Looking forward to next week catching those last two episodes and then doing our final recap on the series as well. Big bro, this was a lot of fun. I'm fired up. I'm, I'm glad we got into a few hypotheticals. That was fun to talk about. I'm excited. I think I'm going to go and lift some weights right now or something. There's no better hypotheticals than NBA hypotheticals, man. A lot of fun. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it.